Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Christmas Eve is right around the corner, and we want to invite you to join us for Christmas with Collective. We will have four identical Christmas Eve services starting on December 23rd at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. and continuing on December 24th at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. It's going to be an amazing night, so we want to encourage you to grab your family, your friends, and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. To learn more, head to www.mycollective.church. Now let's get into Sunday's message. So admittedly, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, Um, but as a Thanksgiving purist, I can admit that one of the best parts of the Christmas season is Christmas movies, right? It's sitting down and stepping out of the stress of the holiday craziness and watching one of those classics. And because of that, I'm excited to start a brand new series today. Over the next few weeks, including our Christmas Eve Eve services on the 23rd and our Christmas Eve services on the 24th, we're going to look at some of the most iconic Christmas movies of all time and discover some of the spiritual truths that are hidden just below the surface. When you read the Bible, you will see that Jesus used stories called parables to teach spiritual lessons. And when doing so, he typically used farming analogies. He would talk about things like sheep or storing food in barns or plowing fields. And what he would do is he would connect that to the kingdom of God. He would use that to teach about our faith and who God is and things that we can learn and grow with. And so that's ultimately what we're going to do with the Christmas movies in this series. Now, we're only going to do five Christmas movies that were in the bumper from just a second ago. So it's possible that we'll miss your favorite. Uh, And because I don't want you to come up to the lobby and tell me that we're not doing your favorite, I'm going to let you get it out of your system right now. So let us know which one you love. By a round of applause, how many of you love A Christmas Story? It's a leg lamp, classic. It's on for 24 hours on TNT, like leading up to Christmas. Nobody watches it. Um, What about Polar Express? I'm going to be honest, that one's creepy. Uh, Love Actually? That's so disappointing. Uh, Home Alone? (laughs) Rudolph or any of those like creepy, like animated ones from back in the day? Uh, And then, of course, Die Hard? (laughs) Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah. What about Harry Potter? My wife and I argued about this. Every Harry Potter book is like, there's a Christmas scene in each one. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a Christmas movie. Okay, did I miss any of your favorites? Santa Claus? It's on the bumper. We're doing that one. No, we're literally doing that one. It's in the bumper. (laughs) All right, we're not doing this with you anymore. Okay. You know, one of the narratives in every single movie that we love about Christmas is that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. That Christmas is this magical season that's full of peace and joy and hope and love and more. But one thing that we all know is true is that just because this clock strikes midnight on Thanksgiving and just because All I Want For You, uh, All I Want For Christmas Is You by Mariah Carey starts playing on a nonstop loop everywhere, and just because downtown puts lights on all the trees, it doesn't mean that everything becomes wonderful. Because if you are struggling to feel peace and joy and hope and love on November 23rd, you're probably still struggling to feel peace and joy and hope and love. And so that's what we're going to dig into in this series. What can we do to make this the most wonderful time of the year? How can we truly feel things like peace and joy and hope and love this Christmas? And to kick things off today, I want to talk about peace. But more specifically, I want to talk about how we can find peace in the family tension that we feel during this holiday season. 
I read this week that 62% of people say that their stress level is elevated during Christmas. And the top reason for that is financial demands. But the second reason we feel so stressed out right now are our family dynamics. Because with the holidays come the family expectations and the demands and the unspokens and the selfishness. And it's completely overwhelming. Now, if they're sitting right next to you, don't raise your hand. But how many of you feel family attention right now? Right? For some of you, it's because it just happened a few days ago. Right? Thanksgiving was a few days ago, and you're still reeling from the fight that your parents had at the dinner table, or from the sibling who chose just not to show up or let anyone know, or the fact that dinner was planned during your kids' nap times. And because of that, your kids were a complete mess, and you felt the frustration and the shame and the embarrassment and the whatever of having your kids out of sync in front of everyone. And because of that, you feel anger toward your family for not thinking about you and what your family needs. Maybe it's because you're already arguing over Christmas plans, what house you're going to meet at, when you're going to get together, how you're going to exchange gifts. Or, or maybe it's because you had a tense Thanksgiving, and you know that no one is going to try to resolve anything this December, and you're just going to bring that into Christmas. I, I think the time right now, I think Christmas, more than any other time of the year, seems to magnify our family issues. And there are a few ways that we can approach this. We can ignore the tension and have another uncomfortable Christmas. We can avoid the tension and make other plans to step out of that and not deal with it. Uh, we can pretend like there isn't tension and try to fake it. Or this is the big one. We can do something about it. We can work for peace. Growing up, my mom's favorite Christmas movie was Christmas Vacation. How many of you have seen this movie before? It's old, but it's, it's a classic. Christmas Vacation is about Clark Griswold's pursuit of hosting the best Christmas ever. He wants to have the biggest tree, the brightest lights in the neighborhood. He wants to serve the best dinner, and he wants to give the most amazing gifts. And so what he does is he invites his entire family to his house for Christmas. But when the parents arrive, so does the bickering and the passive-aggressive comments. When Cousin Eddie arrives unannounced, all the social awareness, or lack of social awareness, shows up. And throughout the movie, all they do is they argue, and they gossip, and they pretend like everything is OK when it's not. And at one point, Ellen Clark's wife says, I don't know what to say, but it's Christmas, and we're all in misery. Right? We, we know how that feels. Growing up, I never understood why my mom loved this movie so much. But as an adult, I realized that is because our family felt a lot like the Griswolds. For instance, the opening scene of the movie, if you've seen it, they drive out to the middle of the woods to cut down a Christmas tree, probably illegally. And as a child, my dad did that most of the years. <laughs> so I think my mom was like, this is a movie, but this is my life. But for the past 35 years, Christmas Vacation has been considered one of the best Christmas movies of all time. And I think it's because we resonate with the family chaos during the holidays. It's the walking on eggshells so no one upsets that overly sensitive sibling. It's not being able to have any conflict or disagreements when you're all together because of the mom who just wants everything to be perfect. It's the disappointment of not being able to start new traditions with your new spouse or your kids because it might hurt the tradition and grandma's feelings. It's pretending to be glad to see everyone when just a few months earlier, you had a knockdown, drag out fight with your sister. It's the overly critical dad who has a comment about everything you do. It's the unaware aunt who can't stop asking, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? It's the new in-laws and their controlling behavior. And because it's Christmas, instead of dealing with these issues, we pretend that everything is OK, because we don't want to ruin this idea of having the perfect holiday season. 
even though it is far from perfect. And know this. When families started, family tension came right along with it. Adam and Eve's sons hated each other. David's son tried to kill him and take his throne. Joseph and Mary had to figure out how to tell their families about the whole virgin birth thing. And Joseph's family was so upset that they passively, aggressively shut them out of the family home. Jesus one time calls out his own siblings and essentially says, you're not my family, then points to his friends and says, this is my family. So as long as there have been families, there have been family disagreements and misunderstandings. And minor conflicts between family members are normal, but other conflicts can be much more significant. In cases where resentment and toxic patterns arise, family interactions can become lasting sources of frustration and can tear families apart. And these turbulent family relationships can have a long-lasting impact on our health and our well-being. You might experience fear and anxiety surrounding family or holiday events. You might develop trouble sleeping or focusing due to those interactions that are coming up. Research even indicates that poor relationships with family members can contribute to depression. And in the movie, they do what we tend to do with family conflict. They ignore it. They pretend like everything is okay, And eventually, it reaches this breaking point. My plan right here was to show you a clip from the movie, but I can't because some of the choice words in it. So I'm going to read to you an edited version. And you can just Google this scene later. But Clark snaps, and he yells at his entire family. He says, nobody's leaving. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. No, no, we're all in this together. We're going to press on. We're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas. And some of you have wanted to yell this at your family before. And in the end, if you know the movie, the only thing that brings this family together is that cousin Eddie actually kidnaps Clark's boss, and they rally around that. But that's not an option for us. (laughs) So to minimize these types of interactions, we have to learn how to identify the causes of family tension and take steps to create peaceful interactions. And to be honest, while cutting ties, while cutting ties might end up being the best option for your health and happiness, There are approaches that we can take to try to repair family bonds. Instead of having another Christmas filled with family conflict, maybe this year things can be different. Maybe there can be peace. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 9. He says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. I think what he says here is really important. Jesus doesn't say that God blesses those who want peace. He doesn't say that God blesses those who put a peace bumper sticker on their car. He doesn't say that God blesses those, those who avoid tension and pretend that there is peace. Jesus says that God blesses those who work for peace. Other translations will say that blessed are the peacemakers. Romans 12:18 says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Right? Do everything you can to have peace. And so if we want peace in our families, we have to work for peace in our families. And if you are a follower of Jesus, because honestly, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is just good wisdom for you to take to heart, but it's not required of you. It's not expected of you by God. But if you say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are called to work for peace. And as we dig into this, I do have to start by asking a question. And this is a hard question, so don't be mad at me. Uh, What if you are the problem? 
Listen, I think you all are amazing, okay? I think you're wonderful. You definitely are not the reason why your family has tension. You're not passive aggressive. You never take anything out of context. You're patient and honest, and you always speak with kindness, which probably means this is not about you. So let me just ask myself. I'll just ask myself in front of you all, what if I am the problem? Right? What if I am the reason why my family has drama? What if I'm the reason that every holiday with family feels like something gets stirred up? What if I'm the one doing the stirring? If you're taking notes today, maybe write this down. What if Michael is the problem, okay? <laughs> because there's no way that you are the problem. Maybe, maybe you write this and said, Michael wants to know, am I the problem? Right? Am I the problem? The Bible talks a lot about people who create conflict instead of peace. Most of these verses are found in the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Old Testament, uh, which is just straight wisdom. It's just all about wisdom. Let's check out what some of these verses say. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. So we have to ask ourselves, is my anger toward my family stirring up quarrels? Is my bitterness causing tension? Is the pain that I have felt causing fights? Am I the problem? Here's another one. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Am I gentle in how I respond to the things that frustrate me with my family? Or am I using harsh words that just ignite that fire even more? Right? Maybe I didn't start the issue, but how I'm responding to it is making it worse. Proverbs 15.18 says, a hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. Am I the one starting fights? Do I thrive off the fights? Am I hoping that a fight with my parents will passively lead to them understanding how they've let me down? Am I hoping that a fight with my siblings will magically lead them to seeing things differently so we can have peace? Am I intentionally creating issues so I feel better about avoiding my family? In Proverbs 16, 28, it says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Am I sharing things to family members that aren't mine to share? Am I creating division in my family through gossip? Really, am I trying to create sides somehow? Am I the problem? And like I said, I definitely know that you're not the problem. But hypothetically, if you were the reason there's tension in your family, I would tell you to stop, right? Hypothetically, stop, OK? Stop being the problem. Just work at being gentle and being patient and being loving and understanding. But because none of you need to do that, you can just passive aggressively edit that last part of the sermon out and send it to mom, saying, my pastor talked about family tension, and it was so good this week, in hopes that she realizes that she is the problem. Don't do that, please. <laughs> but for the rest of our time today, I want to talk about how we can work for peace how we can be peacemakers in our family. family. And I'm going to teach um, on how Jesus told us to handle conflict. But before we read this, I want to make something really clear. What we're about to read is how Jesus tells his followers to handle conflict with other followers of Jesus. And here's why this matters so much. If your family doesn't know Jesus, if your family doesn't follow Jesus, you cannot hold them to the same standards that Jesus holds us to. Right? It doesn't work that way. That's, that's honestly unfair. But with that being said, I think these verses give us a great framework for handling the conflict we have for members in our family, whether they follow Jesus or not. And so let's read how Jesus says to handle conflict. This comes from Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. It says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. And there's so much good advice in this one verse. Jesus says that we need to handle conflict privately probably not using social media. 
Jesus says that we should give the person who's offended us, who's hurt us, we have to give them a chance to own it and apologize. But here's the bigger thing I wanna point out from this. Jesus tells us to have the conversation. You cannot have peace if you are unwilling to have the hard conversations that are necessary to create an opportunity for peace. The conversations that are necessary for creating opportunities for repentance and forgiveness. And I know that some of you who avoid confrontations at all costs, like you're shaking your head right, noping me real hard right now because you don't want to do this. And some of you are even thinking about the movie and trying to figure out who you can kidnap because you would rather do that to try to create peace in your family than have the conversation about how they've hurt you or have the conversation about the ways that they're creating toxic situations or have the conversation about the way they're impacting you and your spouse and your kids. But sometimes you have to have the conversation what kills me most about the movie Christmas Vacation is how unwilling they are to talk about things. For Ellen to sit down with her mom and ask her to stop commenting on everything. For Clark to tell Eddie that it's not appropriate to do any of the things that he does. For Eddie to tell Clark that he's struggling financially, that he needs help. For Russ to tell his daddy he just doesn't want to help put up the lights. But instead, it's side comments. It's under the breath talking. It's venting at night before bed. And we do the same thing. Instead of having hard conversations because they make us uncomfortable or because we tell ourselves ahead of time that they're not actually going to make a difference, so why try? Or because we might have the conversation and things could get worse. We push it off and we wait till next year. But the thing is, next year, it will be worse. Psychologists have found that conflict avoidance creates much louder conflicts. When you hold in how you feel when there is conflict, instead of it going away, which it never does, it just grows bigger and bigger until it eventually explodes. A small conflict pushed aside can become so large that it feels unresolvable. And instead of telling someone what is bothering you, resentment builds up. And you start to create this negative narrative about your family, making it nearly impossible for you to have positive interactions with them. And that creates further disconnection. Right? Not having the conversations will only make things worse. And the way that you do that is you focus on the facts. One of my friends calls it the data. What's, what's the data with what's going on? And what that means is that you don't try to figure out what the other person did or, or why they did it that way or why they said what they said. It means you don't spend time inferring anything. You don't make assumptions. You don't go into the fight trying to win by hurting them. You just say, this is what you did and this is how it made me feel. You sit down with your brother and you tell him, when you said those things about me to our sister, that hurt me. You call your mom and you say, I don't want you commenting on my weight or how much I'm eating or what my clothes look like on me. You grab some time with your dad and you tell him, when you criticize everything that I do, it makes me feel like I'm not good enough. You tell your parents, I appreciate you wanting to host Christmas, but it's not what's best for my family and here is why. Right? You invite the person into a private conversation where you can bring up the issue and share your perspective. But you have to be willing to forgive them if they apologize. And if during the conversation you realize that maybe you've done something in the past that you've hurt them, then you apologize for that. You own that. And you try to fix the damage in the relationship. And then you focus on next steps to resolve this conflict. But that can only happen if you have the conversation. Let's keep reading what Jesus said in verse 16. He says, but if you are unsuccessful, meaning that it is very possible that having the conversation won't work. Seriously, Jesus never promises that this works all the time because you can't control the heart of the person you have tension with. The only thing you can control is yourself. 
Right? So having the conversation could make things worse. And so he says, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And here's how I'd explain what Jesus is saying. He's telling us to set boundaries. We have to set boundaries. In the physical world, boundaries are easy to understand. One of the best examples of a physical boundary is a guardrail on the side of the road. Guardrails exist to protect people. If you hit a guardrail with your car, it will cause damage. But if the guardrail hadn't been there, something worse could have happened. Guardrails are placed before danger. We don't put guardrails up on the edge of a cliff because that wouldn't work. We don't put it right on the cliff because then when people hit it, they would fly over. We put guardrails a few feet away from the edge of a cliff so that if people hit them, they are still safe. And guardrails are designed to minimize damage. They're to keep people in the car safer than if there wasn't a guardrail, but they're also put up to protect people on the other side of the road from getting hurt. And personal boundaries are similar. Boundaries help us set limits with other people. Boundaries protect us from further pain. Boundaries stop things from getting worse. Boundaries are a line that we draw for ourselves, saying, do not cross this point. Right? Boundaries are set up to stop us from driving off the cliff of family dysfunction. And so when we have tension in our family, we have to set and maintain boundaries. And these boundaries or guardrails protect us from toxic family interactions. They protect us from anger and bitterness. They protect us from having those wounds ripped open after months of working to heal them through reading the Bible, through going to therapy, through making good decisions. And here's a few examples of what this could look like. You can set boundaries on how long you will visit your family or when and where you visit your family. You can set boundaries on the conversation topics, on who is there and whether or not you want to be around that person. And for those of you who are dealing with family drama, specifically with your parents, you can set boundaries with your parents. Just because you are their child doesn't mean you owe them anything. Just because they're your parents doesn't mean they're exempt from your boundaries. It doesn't mean they get full access to you because they raised you. We have to set boundaries. And here's the third thing that we can do to be a peacemaker this Christmas. We can extend grace. Going back to how Jesus tells Christians to handle conflict, Jesus finishes his instruction with verse 17. He says, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Remember what I said earlier, this is a specific tension for specific tension among Christians. So that doesn't mean if you have issues with your mom, you can bring her to me next Sunday and I'll fix it. I'm not going to do it. Okay, I'll give you a room off to the side of the building so you can have the conversation. But let's remove that middle part so we can understand this more clearly. If the person still refuses to listen, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. When I first heard this verse, I was working in a church and the lead pastor was dealing with some conflict with one of the leaders. And we were in this meeting, and he just kept saying, Matthew 18 says to treat the person as a pagan or a tax collector. Matthew 18 says to treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. And what he was saying without saying it was, we need to kick them out of the church. And some of you grew up in churches where this is how that verse played out, that treating someone like a pagan or a tax collector meant telling them that they were no longer welcome. But I read it differently. How do we treat people who don't follow Jesus? How do we treat people who are lost and don't know that they're lost? How do we treat people who haven't, haven't experienced the grace that Jesus offers? We show it to them. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
right? How we handle conflict, how we fight for peace in our family is bigger than having a calm dinner during the holidays. When we live the way that Jesus calls us to live, when we trust Jesus, when we live in grace, when we handle conflict the way that Jesus tells us to handle conflict and the way that scripture teaches us to handle conflict, we have the opportunity to show the love of Christ to the people in our family. And no matter how angry they make you now, no matter how uncomfortable they make you, no matter how annoyed they make you, you have to realize that the goal is always Jesus. It's us living in a way that shows them grace and endless second chances, living in a way where they can see that forgiveness is real and new life is real and restoration and redemption are real. And check this out. If you zoom out on Matthew 18 in the Bible, these three verses on conflict are sandwiched by two sets of verses about grace. The first is called the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus says this in Matthew 18, 12. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the other 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my, fa my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Then right after these verses on conflict, this is what happened. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? He's trying to be generous. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Right? I don't think this is, this is a coincidence. I, I don't. I, I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he was teaching his followers about conflict that day. Because he taught them about grace, he taught them about conflict, and he taught them about forgiveness. And listen, Extending grace does not mean that you stop having boundaries. You can do both of those things. Extending grace doesn't mean that you avoid hard, truth-filled conversations. You can do both. In fact, I would say that if you have the conversation, you are showing them grace because you're giving them better than they deserve. They deserve for you to step out of, of your life and your relationship with them. Grace is saying, this is why I need to set these boundaries. This is why we need to have this conversation. Extending grace doesn't mean you allow your family to walk all over you. It doesn't mean that you do what they're expecting of you when it comes at the cost of yourself. It doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship with them. It just means that you give them something better than they deserve. You give them patience. You give them peace. You don't stir things up. You pray for them. You create space for them to apologize. You forgive them if they seek it out. And the reason we extend grace is because that is exactly what Jesus extends to us when we screw up, when we sin against him, when we are the toxic ones, when we are the problem. Right? The parable of the lost sheep is about us. We are the lost sheep he sought out and carried home. Now, let me just say this to those of you who don't follow Jesus but are here today trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out. Everything we talked about today, everything, if you put it into practice, this will help you with your family tension. It will. If you have the conversation and you set boundaries, you will have a healthier family Christmas. But if you have never accepted God's grace, you will never be able to truly extend it to others. So before you call your parents to have the hard conversation, what you need to do is you need to choose the grace that Jesus offers. Right? If you're not a follower of Jesus, that is where you need to start. You need to start by putting your faith in him, receiving that grace, and getting baptized. And if you are ready to do that, or ready to at least have a conversation about what does that look like for you, we encourage you to check the baptism box. Someone will call you this week. We'll talk, what does it look like to receive grace so then you can extend it forward? And here's the thing. It's possible that you have the conversation, that you set boundaries, and you extend grace, and you still have family tension. 
But the thing is, if you do what Jesus asks you to do, you can have peace that you followed what he taught us to do. You can have peace knowing that you ended the day extending grace to someone, putting the ball in their court and saying, when you are ready to have this conversation, we can talk. And so if you want to have peace this Christmas, you have the conversation, you set boundaries, and you extend grace. And I understand that this is hard, and I know that some of you are thinking, you don't know how they've treated me, you don't know how they've treated my spouse and my kids, you don't know what he did or what she said or what I've been dealing with my whole life or the pressure that they've put on me, and you're right, I don't. I do not know the tension that you feel when it comes to your family right now, but I do know that if we want peace this Christmas, we want peace with our family, we have to be the ones who work for it, because blessed are the peacemakers. Let's pray. God, uh, this holiday season, um, every single year, it's the same thing. It is stress. Uh, And every single time we get to this month-long stretch, uh, that when we're told it's supposed to be joyful, we're told it's supposed to be the happiest time of the year, we're told everything's supposed to be perfect, and it doesn't feel that way. God, often what we do is we kind of white-knuckle our way through the next 30 days and get to the new year and say, well, next year is going to be different. Then we get to Christmas, the following season, it's the same thing. In fact, things tend to be worse. And so, God, I pray as we we come out of Thanksgiving, as we head into Christmas, for those of of us who have tension with our family, who who lack that peace that we long for with our siblings or our parents or our in-laws, whatever it may be, God, I, I pray that we work for peace. God, that we don't expect somebody else to do it, that we don't look at them uh, hoping that they have the conversation or they deal with it or honestly that they just move on from it. Um, But God, we can be peacemakers. And God, even though we know we could step into it, we can do all the things you asked us to do and things could still get uh, tense or honestly, things could get worse. God, help us know that we can still walk away feeling peace knowing we did what you asked us to do knowing that we trusted you, knowing that we extended grace, knowing that we live in grace, um, and that can give us the peace that we long for. God, thank you um, for wisdom. God, thank you for uh, teaching us ways to, to live a better life, teaching us ways to pursue peace uh, in our family. God, God, I pray boldly that um, for the people in this room that have tension with their family, that, that they do what you ask them to do, and it works. Um, and that this Christmas can be different. God, um, if it doesn't, uh, I pray that they can hold on to the peace uh, knowing that they trusted you and they're with you uh, and they have grace. Um, And that's really all they need. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.